0: And when Jesse and I met up in G2E, he talked about doing a collaboration together. I'm excited to announce that Business of Betting podcast is going to be joining efforts with Betting Startups podcast. Why don't I throw it over to you and you introduce the partnership. What is up, everybody? I'm Jason Truss, the host of the Business of Betting podcast. Sorry for the absence. Been a while. I'm really happy to be back. Today's guest is Jesse Learmonth. He's the host of Betting Startups podcast. Jesse is somebody I've been following for a long time. I'm a big fan of his podcast. We got to spend some time in person at G2E and we're kicking ideas around and thought I'd love to have him on the podcast. So it's a little bit host on host action today. So why don't we kick off with that to start as a host? Why did you get into podcasting? What was your motivation to start with this? Yeah.
1: So, I mean, other than consuming too many podcasts, probably, I came to a point a couple years ago where I I made some changes professionally in my life and we could talk more about that. But there was sort of a window of opportunity and sort of a combination of factors that led me to say, you know what, I think now is the time for me to stop listening to podcasts and actually start recording one. And when I thought about what I wanted to do, you know, I've always been really interested in entrepreneurship and startup culture and going from zero to one and you know, I've spent the last fourteen, I guess, years now in this industry. So sort of the cross section there is startups within the betting and I guess wider real money gaming industry. And I said, you know what, why don't I try and talk to all of these founders that are launching different types of businesses and projects in the space? And two years later we're here creeping up on a hundred episodes and there's no sign of slowing down and the number of entrepreneurs entering the space seems to be only accelerating. So yeah, it's been it's been a ton of fun. Obviously give me an opportunity to talk to lots of people and Keep my finger on the pulse of a, a very rapidly changing ecosystem and obviously as well, some interesting opportunities organically emerge from talking to that many people over time. So yeah, that's sort of the origin story in a nutshell, but but a ton of fun. And I will say up front here, I've been a big fan of the business of betting podcasts for a long time, both since you took over Jason, but also your predecessor, Jake, did an awesome job getting this thing going. I remember back in 2018, maybe 2019. I was spending a lot of time in central London working when I was with Pinnacle Sports and in the office there. A lot of the teams that I worked with there uh, were a big fans of the pod. So I have a very soft spot for it and happy to see uh, you return after, what, a three-month absence here and looking forward to hopefully a more regular publishing <laughs> schedule for you in the pod as, as a fan.
0: Yeah, it's, the absence has been too long. I'll get to that in a, in a little bit. But as we were preparing for this podcast you and I were talking about what it's like to be a host and two of my favorite podcasts that I listen to is the All-In podcast and Prof G podcast. And what I really really like about both of them is they're both sort of subject matter experts. Uh, largely around tech, you know. Prof G is he's an entrepreneur and the the guys on the All-In podcast are they're, they're mostly entrepreneurs. You know, but what I really like is you kind of get to know them as people, like what they think, what they don't think, how they feel, uh, what their vulnerabilities are. And, and it just makes for such a rich experience. And as I think about my own podcast, uh, when I'm interviewing these guests, I kind of play the role of kind of the straight interviewer. And I think you fall into that camp a little bit too. And I was kind of thinking about when we were fortunate to meet up in person at, uh, G2E. You have tons of opinions about this space and, you know, you have a personality and, and I do too. And I haven't quite found that balance yet in the business of betting podcast. Like how do you bring your own personality and not be overbearing or argue with it, the guest? And I was just curious because in your personality, you tend to be very, yeah, neutral host that lets the person do the talking and lets them present their stuff. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you don't really push back on guests if they say crazy things. So What's your take on that? Do you wish you were more opinionated, as you might be in your personal life, and bring more of your real self to the podcast, or do you do you like it more straight?
1: Super interesting question, and and you're right. Like for my podcast, it's a very friendly format. I mean, I'm Canadian, and I think I take a very Canadian approach to it. Right? Look at at the start of it all, I, I really went back and forth with this, and you know, when I started the pod, I I really wanted to try and get to 50 episodes. That was a goal I set for myself. And I sort of concluded in thinking about it, that if I took a little bit of a, I'm gonna say aggressive, but like, you know, if I push back a little bit more than maybe I I naturally would, I, I had a little bit of a fear that People wouldn't come on my podcast and I would never make it to 50, right? So I really wanted to create a pretty friendly format where, yes, I am predominantly just asking questions, maybe layering in a little bit of my own perspective. But what I'm really not doing is pushing back or like really evoking my own opinions. Not to say I don't have opinions. I have a lot of opinions and obviously I've seen a lot and I have uh, my own sense of what I think will work and what won't work. But I don't really bring that into the discourse. And purely from like the audience perspective, I could see how that may be perceived as being a little bit dry or boring. That being said, like the whole reason, I guess, sort of like my whole like raison d'etre for the podcast is really to give entrepreneurs and founders a platform to tell their stories and share their experiences, right? So inherent within that, like, I want to keep it friendly. I want them to feel comfortable sharing. I want them to attract more attention and awareness on whatever it is they're doing, regardless of what I think about it. I don't really want it to be about me. I really want it to be about my guests. So for that reason, I've taken this approach, rightly or wrongly. But yeah, I've taken a very sort of neutral, Switzerland-esque approach to it all so far.
0: Not a Canadian-esque approach? Canada's been in the news a lot lately. You guys are starting to uh, pop your head on foreign policy. What's hitting the headlines on your end from a Canadian perspective?
1: I have no idea what, what makes the international headlines here.
0: Oh, the, the big thing was when uh, Trudeau accused India of assassinating that guy. That was, that was pretty unusual.
1: That's uh, yeah. It, it was intense and remains intense. Uh, it's not too. That's actually not too far from where I am here on the west coast of Canada. And actually saw talking about headlines. I think this week I saw there was sort of similar stories in the U.S. whereby potential assassination plots were foiled. So I, I don't know, right? I mean, and I'm not the biggest commentator on on sort of world news and, and politics and all that. I, I know politics is more your jam, but it was a big deal and it is a big deal. And I mean, the fact that sleepy old Canada makes international headlines is always a, a big thing.
0: Yeah, it was a big thing. You know, I was just actually thinking about why, when you were giving the answer about, like, why we don't open up, you know, it could be something to the question and answer format because I'm sure some of the listeners will, do you listen to All In podcast or or is that one of your? Yeah, I listen to uh, All In weekly. I've
1: listened to it basically since they launched it. So yeah, I'm... uh...
0: Okay, so if you are familiar with it, you know, what I found really interesting is when they've had the presidential candidates on, so namely RFK Jr., they just had Tucker Carlson on, uh, Vivek, and uh Christy what's interesting, which is maybe what we fall into the trap of, I think they really ask softball questions and they really don't push back. And after the episode, I thought they had a bunch of false praise for the guests. Like I I thought RFK Jr. was horrible. I thought horrible from the sense of he said a lot of bullshit that I think they didn't call out. Say for Tucker Carlson, I think he kind of was duplicitous in, in that episode. I don't know if you uh, listened to that last episode. But it, it's interesting that they're very sort of demure when it came to those guests. So maybe it's just the fact that when you interview somebody, you want to be polite and nice and listen to what yeah. they have to say. And they're way more interesting when they're just sort of riffing between them. And same for Prof G, he's a, you know, and he just kind of goes on his rants. Um, they're hilarious and interesting. And he kind of holds the curtain back. I don't know maybe there's something to that. What do you what do you think about All In when they sort of have been interviewing the guests? Do you like that part or do you feel like it's a little bit more fake? I
1: do like it cuz I guess like the nature of All In for anybody that's not familiar with it. I mean it has four, you know, participants on a weekly recurring basis, right? And each of those four people bring a pretty different perspective and and they represent sort of an interesting cross-section of views and opinions. So I think when they bring guests on, each of them comes to the guests with their questions from sort of the perspective that they represent. So I do think it brings a little bit more interest and maybe dynamism to sort of the Q&A format than, for example, the betting startups podcast does with just me asking questions like there is a bit of perspective behind the questions they ask. So I don't find it to be too, you know, I actually don't think it's like that. They don't mind asking hard questions on that. I mean, maybe it's because they're, you know, more recently talking to presidential candidates. So you should be asking hard questions. But I think they strike a nice balance, to be honest, where they, they do assert, their own views quite a bit but they also make it pretty easy for, for their guests to to sort of have layups here and there
0: yeah i kind of just wonder if there's a room for that in the gambling betting industry where you know us as hosts in this industry there's room to sort of inject more personality and vulnerability into two sides what are some of the thoughts that you have about some of your guests if you want to name names or not name names but you know you've interviewed close to 100 startup founders and you probably have as close to a front row seat as Anybody in the space? Like, what what are some of the things that, like, if you were to push back or or you wanted to sort of have more of a debate, where you know, because you've been in the industry fifteen ish years, you, you were a startup founder in, in betting, and then you went to work at Pinnacle as a, as a product guy. What are some of the things that you kind of grit your teeth when you hear? Like you say, I've I have talked to about a hundred different guests now, so
1: over that large of a sample size, so you get a pretty wide cross section of both business types. So a lot of B two B, a lot of B two C then obviously different verticals, right? You got some sports betting, you got some DFS, you got some high casino poker, then all these sort of now like adjacent, like under the hood plumbing type companies, doing things like personalization, things like reg tech. So I I never like to paint them all with the same brush. That being said, you know, some of the things that I'm just kind of roll my eyes at a little bit sometimes, particularly for the B2C companies, I really think, you know, there's a lot, delusion is a strong word, but there's, you know, expectation versus reality on user acquisition, I think is a thing that continues to kind of an interesting one to me. I think a lot of teams and companies at the earlier stages really undersell themselves on just how incredibly difficult it is to acquire users at scale. And particularly for some of these businesses with, you know, lower margin business models that, you know, really necessitate like a critical mass of users to make a, a viable business. They really, I think, undersell themselves on just like how hard that is. And it's not even like, Hard within the context of this industry. I mean, any consumer product is competing with every other consumer product out there for mindshare, attention, time. I mean, attention is the scarcest resource out there, and every company is competing with every other company across all industries for everybody's attention on the consumer side. And that continues to be an area for me where, you know, I, I just think people really don't quite have a lens of, of reality in absolute terms. Of course, some of them are, are pretty grounded in reality, but, you know, user acquisition is a tricky one. I would also say in general, you hear a lot of like origin stories around how, oh, I, I started this to scratch my own itch. Oh, I'm my own, you know, first customer or first user, which is fine. And I, I believe in that and, and all of that. But like, I think sometimes that's taken too far to the extreme. I've seen some pretty like novel concepts come through that I think are almost like a little bit too niche and like it's serving it's a pretty narrow use case. And I think some of the, the people think because that it's something that's interesting to them, that it'll be interesting to a wider population. Obviously, that that's their challenge is to try and sort of validate that or approve that hypothesis. But again, more often than not, from my position over here sitting in the chair asking the questions, I'm, I'm a bit more skeptical about some of these ambitions, whether some of these more niche game types or whatnot can really break through to more of a, a mass market audience. So, you know, that's one of the bigger things for me is just like, you know, the whole like expectation versus reality about what it means to build a consumer facing product and business.
0: Yeah, I, I share that feeling that you have that a lot of these startups, although well-intentioned, um, will struggle in the marketplace because it, it is very competitive. The thing that kind of balances me is that when I started SmartKits, you know, pretty much, I would say 99 people out of a 100 that had an opinion about the future viability of the company would say we wouldn't be successful. So like I got used to sort of you know, pretty much everybody thought we had zero chance to compete with Betfair, except for a handful. Those are the people that you raise money and work with. But I got very used to people being very negative about it. So it's kind of, and probably on a risk-adjusted basis, they were probably correct that I shouldn't have gotten off the ground and, and made it through. So it's hard to sort of go after a founder for something that you're probably right about, but you don't know you don't know if they really do have the right path and the right idea or they are being delusional. So it's
1: tough. It's tough. And like, I, I don't want to be, you know, a doomer. I don't want to be that negative voice for people. Like I, I do want to be supportive however I can. And again, maybe that's the Canadian in me. I want everybody to succeed. I don't, that may be delusional, like thinking everybody can win. That's obviously not realistic, but like in my heart of hearts, like I do wish that obviously that's not reality and then it's a competitive marketplace
0: out there. Yeah, I'm asking the question more from the lens of not like, can we tear up, tear down startup founders and and shoot on their dreams? It's more from the perspective of like, you know, being more real, you know, like, is there a way to sort of, you know, being like philosophical about being a podcast interviewer, but like, is there a way to ask the question, push back, not be a dick, but also uh, get into more interesting conversations? Because I do think that the origin story does matter. How you acquire customers really does matter. Your ability to compete for attention is, I mean, that kind of dictates everything. For sure. One of the things that I'm super passionate about in sports betting, I mean, the reason I did business of betting is because I think betting for as big as it is, it's pretty lo-fi technology. I come at sports betting from the financial technology angle. And the main thing that I think is insane is the price. You know, I was trading stocks back in 2003, 2004, and like a penny here and a penny there was like. The difference between being the top trader and and getting fired essentially prices everything. And then uh, I saw the sports betting industry, I mean, mainly through the lens of political betting, but then I saw that you could do this over sports and I just, the bid offer spread is like 10%. And in a financial context, it's insane. Like if you think the 30 year um, interest rate on a treasury is 5% right now, but you're paying twice that to just place a sports bet that, you know, settles within Three hours or whatever, you know, it's just insane. It's like you're giving money hand over fist to the operator. And my hypothesis has always been like, this is the whole point of technology. This is the magic of technology. And what I see in the industry is is actually getting away from the magic of technology and going more on the sort of the carnival ride of marketing, where the traditional model is customer pays ten percent, you take that profit margin, you spend a ton on marketing, you spend a ton on bonusing, and you sort of create this cycle. And in my opinion, that cycle should be broken. So that's my motivation for SmartKids. That's my motivation for doing this podcast and not just sort of pushing my perspective, but also I think there's sort of a lack of interesting ideas being discussed in the industry for as big as it is that, you know, it's, it's very traditional, you know, it's just sort of like marketing dollars in, customer money out. It's not that much sort of innovative thought about it. What are your thoughts on the industry? Like, what's your because you had you had a lot of experience as an entrepreneur. You had experience within Pinnacle. What is your viewpoint on the industry? Where do you, Where would you like to see it go?
1: Yeah, so from a purely sports betting perspective, I mean, that's that's the vertical within, the, I guess, the broader industry. I spent all my time in. It's, I mean, for you and smart that's where you spent your time as well. So, I guess, just you know, within that context, I also am a little bit of a romantic around this idea that I do believe there's more value that could be accrued back to the user or the customer. And, you know, I guess over my time in the industry, like I've had a few main chapters, without getting too much into it, like my first five years was with my own startup. We were building at that time, and this is 2010, 2015, just to timestamp it. So way before the repeal of Passport, like there was no market to speak of. So we were too early, but you know, the spirit of what we were trying to do was to really like empower sports bettors to bet more confidently using data and we were building tools to really help them with that. So it was really sort of our our rallying cry was to like empower people with data and to really sort of help them get a little bit of an edge back against the books who inherently have an edge baked into their prices, right? You know, that, that was sort of our why. And then I guess the second main chapter I've had within this industry, as you alluded to, is by six years with Pinnacle Sports and Pinnacle notoriously is a low margin bookmaker Obviously, they're, they're a wildly influential bookmaker when you talk about sort of global prices of betting markets. And, you know, their their whole value proposition, their whole USP is predicated on the low margin model and really delivering value back to their customers. Right. They don't have they basically had a zero dollar marketing budget there. I was actually responsible for the marketing teams for like three of my six years there. There really wasn't much of a budget. Right. So how do you market when there's no bu- budget? You have to get very creative. All that to say, like, instead of having all of these above the line, you know, marketing campaigns and bonuses and all of that, take that spend and, and actually just reduce the price of the, the ultimate product and deliver that value back to the customer that way. Like that really philosophically aligns with me. And I guess in my post pinnacle time here over the last two years, like I continue to believe strongly that, you know, competing on price and, and delivering value back to customers, back to betters, you know, there there is more room for that. And, you know, it's a little bit, you know, some days disheartening when, you know, you look at, specifically in the U S right. Let's let's call it what it is. Like all these operators competing the packaging and delivery of like same game parlay products, which have like 20 to 30% margins baked in selling these things as lottery tickets where, you know, you get a $5, like, 18 parlay to win several thousand dollars and that's a little bit disheartening because I think sports betting is something closer to a financial transaction like you talk about and there's really no need to have double digit margins baked into that provided that of course from like the operator's perspective they can attract enough volume and liquidity to you know make that a viable business for themselves obviously nobody's running a charity here so they need to have operating profit but there's other ways to achieve that and again like the romantic in believes that competing on price is absolutely a viable model yet it is so rarely pursued within this industry i think you and less than a handful of others are really sort of taking to the market that way and, and offering that sort of value prop so look at the end of the day i think there's challenges with that type of business right customer education is a tough one the average person on the street doesn't even understand odds let alone the fact that like different odds are, are akin to different prices right if you went into a store and and three different stores looking at the same pair of shoes and saw three different prices naturally you would go to the one with the lowest price but that concept isn't so easily understood in in sports betting so i think there's an education component before that can become mass market sort of opportunity but in the meantime yeah there's a lot of room to to carve out a meaningful position i think by competing on price and delivering that value back to the customer and just focusing on that and you know there's lots to go around i think what you guys are doing really you know serves as as inspiration in in some ways and and a case study in many ways that it can be done it's just you really have to believe in that and um it's it's not going to be easy it's tempting to probably take shortcuts and, and really focus on these higher margin products and make it more of a margin play but at the end of the day look the, the romantic in me believes that uh, there's enough to go around for everyone and, and right now i think it's skewed probably a little bit
0: too heavily toward the operators yeah we have about one percent market share in the uk so we're we're on the board but we're not in the top 3 or 4 bookmakers in the UK and uh i would probably describe myself as a romantic in, in that vein as well what's your rationale or your explanation why the Pinnacles markets betfair exchanges of the world haven't grown to dominate sports betting and it's more the bet365 FanDuel kind of thing like what what do you think is what's going wrong in the industry if if you believe that as i do that that's the direction We should be going, what's going on? A few thoughts on this. I mean, one, the fact that, you know, many
1: people treat sports betting as an entertainment activity, right? So if you sort of view it through that lens as it's an entertainment activity, therefore, whatever you cost, you incur doing that activity, you sort of justify it as being for entertainment like you would going to the movies. Then so long as you're getting that utility and that entertainment value out of it, a certain subset of people probably don't really care like what the price of that entertainment is, right? So that I already think like, across the market segment of the market. I don't know how you view it, but you know, I would probably have it as I don't know. This is a very uh, subjective number. I'll say 10% of the betting population probably really cares about price and, you know, grinding out an edge and and betting for the purposes of of generating profit. Like it's a profit-seeking activity for maybe 10% of people. I don't know if that's a right number or not, but like what all that to say like I think the vast majority of people that bet on sports do it through the lens of entertainment. It's to give them a rooting interest. It's to sort of back an opinion that they have for their team. It's to demonstrate their fandom. And I think those people are going to be just generally less price sensitive because the reason they're doing it, they don't need to, you know, get three points off of a number or something like that. So that might be the limiting factor. I think that's sort of what I've concluded so far. I mean, you know, Pinnacle, we tried and tried and tried and, and and made some progress in saying that, like, it's not like it was a failure, but like, you know, we had hours of internal discussion there about like, how do we position the pinnacle product? And like, what do we need to do to this core value proposition to make it more appealing to the masses? And it's a challenging thing, right? Like, yeah, you can, you know, do all like the UX, UI magic in the world. But at the end of the day, it's like people, some people just want an eight game, same game parlay, right? Like there, there's some sense of the population that's just there for that. and And that's fine. So I don't have obviously a silver bullet answer to that. It's tricky. I don't know. But I'd I'd be interested to hear sort of what your thoughts are on on that, Jason.
0: Yeah. If you take, I mean, if you take betting in it as entertainment, which it certainly is to a certain percentage of the population, like if you took classic entertainment, like a show or a movie or a roulette wheel or, you know, just a game, like, you know, if, you know, movie tickets are incredibly expensive now. If you had a movie theater that was $3 the show, I imagine that movie theater would be sold out every day, right? So, I think just because it's entertainment, I think people are incredibly price sensitive. Like if you look at airline tickets, like the whole Southwest JetBlue kind of vibe of uh, 80% the legacy carriers for 50% the price kind of model. I think that people do, even if they don't think about it explicitly, I think people do want better prices. I think the issue is that odds are incredibly complex and unintuitive and nobody knows what true value should be. And minus 10, like what the fuck does minus 10 mean? Like nobody knows what that means. So you know, if I really want to uh, understand the probability of minus one in ten, even though I'm I like run a sports betting company, I literally have to get out a calculator. It's so unintuitive. So I think there's something to like making it more intuitive about how much value you're leaving more. on the table in terms of same game parlays. There's nothing in the laws of, of physics that says you have to have a thirty percent margin on a same game parlay. So same game parlays could be uh, treated just sort of like any other financial instrument and have tighter bid offer spreads. And so like, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying, you know, we do have bigger margins on same game parlays because, you know, people aren't that price sensitive. And so it is a place for us to drive revenue. But at the same time, long term, there's no reason, theoretically, you couldn't have a 1% margin on the same game product. So like, there's nothing stopping you from that. But in summary, you know, as the romantic, I like that term the romance of sports betting. I do find it quite sad that Betfair Exchange, the pinnacles of smart gets, really haven't figured out a way to truly revolutionize the industry. And if anything, if I had to sort of look at the industry right now, it's like I would say, it's going backwards. I still believe that there's a role. Price will dominate at some point, but I think nobody's figured out the right product to make that happen. So that's what I'm like. That's my job when I go to work every day, trying to make that happen. All right. Well, I want to say a few words about podcasts. So as the regular listeners will know, I'm very, very sorry for not having recorded an episode for three months. I actually did an episode with somebody and uh, about a month ago. So it's not a, a great excuse. And just it just wasn't very good quality. The audio wasn't good quality. The content was very good. So I decided to not publish it. But one of the things just sort of peering the veil back, you know, I have three kids. I have an 11 month old. Um, so like I run ragged, uh, with my kids. I'm a full time CEO. So that also keeps me busy. I go to the office as much as I can. And sometimes the pod falls through the, the cracks. So it's, it's been a labor of love. I don't, I, I do this because I really care about it. And when Jesse and I met up in G2E, he talked about doing a collaboration together. I'm excited to announce that Business of Betting podcast is going to be joining efforts with Betting Startups podcast. Why don't I throw it over to you and you introduce the partnership?
1: Yeah. So when we talked a couple months ago, I mean, I think my comment to you is like, hey, as a fan of the Business of Betting podcast, what's going on here? Like I'm I'm not getting the regularity of new episodes that I I would like to as an audience member. And basically what you just said is what you shared with me. You're like, look, it's a labor of love. It's a passion project, but it's obviously not my main thing. So you know, in, in the list of priorities, it's somewhere lower down the list, and, and that's why. And I said, well, you know, that's too bad. What would it take to get a bit more predictability and regularity with the publishing schedule? So you and I brainstormed, I, I floated a couple ideas. And basically, what we've concluded is exactly as you said, we're going to partner up, I guess, through my two years of publishing the Betting Startups podcast, and for the most part, maintaining a weekly publishing schedule. I've got a bit of a process uh, nailed down now. I, I do have some good support and help around me to make that happen, operationally speaking. So I said, you know what, why don't we widen the nets with what my team is working on and and provide you some support such that we can commit to getting things back on track with the business of betting and get something closer to a weekly publishing schedule happening again. So that's what we're doing. Uh, As you said, we're going to partner up. I'm going to help out behind the scenes and allow you to do what you do best, which is talk to people, ask good questions, have intelligent discussion and as I say, I've been a big fan of the pod for all the five years it's existed, and I just want to see more of it, right? So uh, if that's what I can do to make that happen, uh, that, that's a no-brainer, and uh, I'm really excited to get some momentum behind this and, and get you back on track with it and make it easy for you to just show up and record every week, right? And, and for those that haven't done it before, and, and I didn't know this before I launched the Betting Startups podcast, but it's a ton of fucking work, man. Like, You know, sitting here and, and, and talking for half an hour is the easy part. It's It's the several hours of stuff around that. That really stacks up and on a weekly basis, it's easy to, to miss a week and then a week turns into two. So I get it and I'm pumped. I'm really excited to collaborate with you. Obviously, you know, the nice getting to know you over the last few months and a big fan of what you're doing. So if I can support you with that, uh, I think that's a win-win and mostly a win for the audience for, for those that are also loyal listeners of your pod.
0: Cool. Let's do it. And and like you said, like for every probably hour of episode, it's probably four to five hours of work between finding the guests, interviewing the guests, setting up the time and then editing the podcast, of course, or like it, it is for each episode, it is a ton of work. And so I'm I'm excited to share resources with Jesse to uh, help me get back on track, as you say. So with that, anything else you want to
1: add before we sign off? I just want to continue on that thread for a minute, Jason. So I think part of my responsibility in this partnership is to make sure you have a good flow of guests to jump on the pod, and you know, with people that you want to be talking to. And I guess sort of through that lens, for anybody that's listening, that might be considering their suitability as a potential guest. Like, quickly talk about, I guess, like who you're looking to, to chat with? Like, what are some of the subjects that are interesting to you? Like, yeah, what, what are you looking for, I guess, in guests going forward? Because I have to fill your calendar now for the next year. So tell me,
0: tell me how I can do that. <laughs> yeah, I would say there's probably two categories of guests. Um, and hopefully they, they, the guest fits in book camps. But on one camp, you sort of have the movers and shakers of the industry, you know, the CEOs of the, the big companies, and I've interviewed some of them. People love hearing from them because they they have such unusual sway in the industry and uh, drive the agenda. So people like hearing directly from them. So the CEOs and senior exe- executives from the big uh, sports betting companies is sort of like the one group. And the second group is sort of anybody really that has interesting opinions about sports betting. So that can be somebody senior, it could be somebody junior, but I really like to interview people with unique perspectives. Unfortunately, I wanted to talk to a lot of betting syndicates because they are they have, you know, talking about pricing, betting syndicates tend to be fully aligned with pricing, sort of the direction of travel in the industry, but they don't like to come on podcasts and share what their alpha is or their algorithms or talk about how they make their money. And what I've learned is that a lot of times, it's not because they're doing something dodgy. Almost always what they're doing is legal. It's more they don't want any competition. So they don't want to tell other people how much money they make. And some of these syndicates make a lot of money betting and sports. And unfortunately, I've been having trouble getting them to come on. So if you can get betting syndicates to come on, I would love to talk about them. But anybody that really kind of pulls the curtain back on the industry, people that are involved in all aspects from marketing to pricing to customer acquisition to legal to compliance. But really, I want people that have interesting opinions and not, not to join the pod for something to sell. I don't want somebody to come on to advertise their company. I want somebody to come on and talk about the ideas of the industry.
1: All right. Well, people listening heard it here first. We're looking for guests. So uh, yeah, pretty soon here, we're going to put up a, a form where people can sort of submit a guest application. Tell us a bit about yourself and maybe some of what makes you potentially interesting guests. So I uh, will have more to share on that
0: soon here. But excited to get things moving here, Jason. and. Thanks for having me on here. I really appreciate it, man. Thanks. You and I need better backgrounds. We both look like we live in the suburbs and have no taste because we neither, if you're listening, neither of us have art on the wall. And- well, truth be, truth be told here, it's a little bit out of view of the camera. In my home office here, I'm about to lose
1: it because there's a crib next to me. My wife and I are expecting uh, okay. in a couple of months here. So I, I got to find a new headquarters anyways here. It's not the Ivory Tower podcast production studio that I <laughs> sometimes joke that it is,
0: but uh, it's, it's a depressing backdrop. You're right. Got to start somewhere. All right, Jesse. Well, it was great chatting and looking forward to working together. Likewise, man. I'll talk to you soon, Jason. Okay, cheers.